0: It's such a privilege and an honor to continue with this series on identity rehab. I trust that you're enjoying it in the same way that I am. And I've been learning so much just with the research that I'm doing, the prayers that I'm praying uh, as we go through this particular process. Last week, I spoke to you about the new creation. We're starting to talk about kingdom identity. And I spoke to you about the new creation, that that's a central aspect of our identity in Christ. And this week, I want to focus on the fact that we are lovers of people. That's who we've become, and it's very central to our identity. Remember, your identity is to do with what differentiates you, what distinguishes you, all right? Your distinguishing characteristics, right? And uh, one of those key characteristics of a believer who's become the new creation is actually that we are lovers of people. And for me, this is quite special because that's actually what my name means, okay? Uh, just to give you a bit of context nyamuda is a shona uh, name and it literally means one who loves okay the full surname is actually nyamudawanu one who loves people okay one who loves all others i still remember my grandfather explaining it to me when i asked him imagine if my surname was that long nyamudawanu so i think they shortened it to nyamuda one who loves how do you top that anyway so if we look in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 6 to 7 in the Berean Study Bible it says for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power love and self-control. Some translations say power, love, and a sound mind. Now the context here is Paul is encouraging Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God in him. And when he does so, he reminds him of his identity. He says, fan into flame this gift that God has given you that came through the laying on of my hands, right? Uh, But then he says something to do with Timothy's identity. The spirit God has given us. And here the context, we're talking about the born again spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your spirit. Okay. Uh, It's not the Holy Spirit here being fearful or doing the, the, the loving. Right. It's us. It's our spirit. But it's the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Okay. So the result of this is that the born again spirit is full of love. Okay, so one of the core characteristics of the born-again spirit is love. If we look in John 13, verses 34 to 35, the Bible says, A new command I give you, love one another. Now look how many times love is mentioned in this scripture. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know, That you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus didn't say, you know what, guys, be great evangelists. When you're great evangelists, then everyone will know that you're my disciples. He didn't say be great preachers because when you preach really well, then everyone will know you're my disciples. He didn't say you must just really prosper, you know, and people can see the abundance of your on your life, and then they will know you're my disciples. He says, love one another. All right, key differentiation key distinguishing factor, love one another, and then they will know that you are my disciples. You know, in the book of Acts, for example, it says that they looked at these guys, the first apostles, and they saw that these were not learned men, but when they looked at them, they saw that they had been with Jesus. Question, how did they know these men had been with Jesus? I believe that there was something about their love. There was something about their love because Jesus himself said, if you love one another, that's how they'll know that you are my disciples. Okay, so there was a unique type of love that was being expressed in the early church. And people could pick up that these guys have been with Jesus. And the word used for love here is agape. So it's specifically talking about God's kind of love, okay? God's love. Remember in the Greek, they're different words for love. They're different words that are used for love, and we'll unpack some of these, okay? There's storge, which speaks of family love, all right? Uh, There's philos, which speaks of brotherly affection or brotherly love, and there's eros, which speaks of uh, romantic love, and then there is agape, which speaks of God's love, In the nature of God's love, it's unconditional. He loves us first. While we were still sinners, he loved us, right? Um, So this is the love being spoken of in this context. I'll touch on one of the other loves a bit later on, okay? So loving one another is central to our identity as kingdom people. That's why we need to teach on this and we need to unpack what does love actually look like. OK, what we also see in this scripture is that we must first receive the love of Jesus experientially in order to love people with that kind of love. This is so, so important. So this morning, as I was praying, I was saying, Lord, I, I, I thank you that you delight in me. I thank you that you rejoice over me in singing. The more I do that, OK, the more likely I am to pass that on to other people, to rejoice in them also right? To delight in them also. When we don't do that to the people around us, often it's indicative of the fact that we haven't fully received it from Jesus. It's important to meditate on the fact that he has loved you. He has loved me. And so he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another, right? Not in another way. So it's not another type of love. It's not tit-for-tat love, You know, some people have got this debt-based way of relating to people, you know. Oh, you've invited us for dinner, so we must also invite you. Oh, you gave me this, so I must also give you that. No, you're just returning a favor. And in fact, sometimes when we have that approach in life, nothing wrong with it um, per se, but when we have that approach in life, sometimes the motivation can be power, okay? We don't want someone to be one up on us, so we want to make sure that the power base is still level. Right? So, oh, he's been giving and giving. Let me also do that just so we keep things level because we're struggling to receive from people. So be careful of that tit for tat type of love. There's no reward for it, okay? Because you're only doing it because the person has done something for you, right? That's not agape. That's not the nature of agape. Yes, it's reciprocating. Yes, it helps in terms of relationships so that people don't think that you, this person, was just trying to take advantage of them. But don't call it love. Just say, you know what, we actually just maybe being respectful, we're reciprocating, they did this for us, so it's now our turn, okay? But that's how the world loves. That's how the world does what it does, okay? Jesus says, in the same way that I have loved you, it was not tit for tat when Jesus did it, because we had rejected him, yet he still died for us on the cross. It was that type of love. It was Agape. It was not love with a hook. That's another type of love, love with a hook, where you do something nice for someone because of what you're going to get out of it. Okay, so maybe you uh, you're a wife and the reason you're cooking those lovely meals for your husband isn't always out of love, but it's so that you get his attention or uh, maybe he will he will love me more right? The moment we do something because of some subconscious, it doesn't have to be conscious, some subconscious need in us because of what we want to get from the person, that becomes love with a hook. Gentlemen, when you buy your wife that nice outfit, okay, just because you want something in return, you want more respect from her, you want her attention, you want the intimacy, whatever it is, whatever your your wife uh, tends to respond to, watch out for that. That's not a Agape, that's love with a hook. Okay. Um, let's go a little bit deeper in this. So it's it's love as he loved us, okay? So the question I want to ask you is how has Christ loved you? Meditate on that. Pause, selah, all right? Think about it. How has Christ loved you? How has he loved you? In the same way that he's loved you, love one another. That's what the scripture is speaking of. In John 15 verse 13, the Bible tells us greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. So there are levels of love and Jesus here is speaking about the greatest type of love and he says greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for one's friends So we see that love is demonstrated to the degree to which we're willing to lay down our lives, okay? So love is seen in selflessness, okay? The moment there's a hook, the moment there's, what do I get out of this for myself, okay? Then let's not call it love. Let's call it something else, okay? Two people can do the same thing, but one does it laying down his life, whilst the other one is doing it for personal gain. So we have to be careful about judging people's deeds, you see, because the way God judges, he examines the mind, he looks at the heart. Why? Because you can do two identical activities that seem wonderful and your pastor can praise both of you, right? But when heaven is looking, heaven can see that, wait a minute, this person is doing it selflessly. This person is doing it because they've got an agenda. And again, sometimes our agendas are very subtle and we're not even conscious of them. And that's why it's so important when we're praying to say, Lord, expose the motivation of my heart. You see, that's where you really see the love, right? Um, this, is, this is not just something Jesus alone was expected to do. And this is so important, okay? There's a biblical instruction, for example, for husbands to love their wives this same way all right the bible tells us in ephesians 5 verse 25 husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so as husbands we are called to love with this type of selfless love okay we cannot say I will only start doing A, B, C, D when my wife gets her act together and starts doing X, Y, Z. The very nature of marriage is that it's covenantal. What do we mean by that? You are doing certain things based on a promise you made, not based on the other person's behavior. See, the way a contract works is I behave in a certain way as long as the other party in the con- to the contract is also doing, playing their part. Okay, but agape love is love as Christ loved and that's so important. So let's not look at this whole laying our lives down or how Christ laid his life down as, oh, that was just Jesus because he was the son of God. No, he expects us to also love in the same way that he did. Okay. Now, I want to highlight this. Obviously, we're not going to be dying on the cross for each other because Jesus already did that for us, right? He laid down his life. And by the way, to lay down your life, to lay, it's to place your life, okay? That's what that word lay down actually means, okay? He, he presented himself. He committed himself. It actually has connotations of serving, okay? Connotations of appointing. So he appointed himself for us. Okay, it's to do with assigning. So Jesus wasn't merely killed. Okay, it's not like he was trying to escape and then he was killed by the people, right? No, he actually handed himself over. He says, Whatever you want to do, do it now, do it quickly, right? He presented himself. So, in the same way we are doing that, if I say, I love the local church, I'm basically assigning myself, I'm presenting myself, I'm laying aside other things and presenting myself to the church and saying, I am here for you, okay? That's what uh, this type of love is speaking of. And husbands are to love their wives in that same way. Now, here's an important principle to understand. There are different ways of laying your life down. And here's the mistake a lot of us make. We tend to judge other people based on our level of grace in a particular area. And here's my statement to you. Do not judge others, other people's love, based on your level of grace in an area. This is so, so important. So what typically happens in the body of Christ is you'll have someone who's got a strong evangelistic grace. Now, should we all be evangelizing? Of course, we should all be doing so. But there are certain people who have been supernaturally graced in that particular area. And it's easy for that person to then say, you guys are not loving. How many souls have you reached in the last month? Therefore, you are not loving. So we are measuring someone else based on how God has actually gifted and graced us, right? Now, should we all be reaching the lost? Of course we should be, right? But we should be careful to assume that we are such loving people because of one area of strength. Does that make sense? Okay. So that evangelist might say that to the people around them. But then the people around them might then say to that same person, hey, you know what? Um, Are you teaching the next generation? Why, why aren't you starting a Christian school? Can you see how our children are being deceived in all these other schools? Why aren't you starting a Christian school? So that's what our church is into. We're very loving. We care about the next generation. And so we're pouring ourselves into them. Now, those people have got a grace to teach and they've got a strong understanding in that area and a calling in that area. That's how they are showing love. And then the next person who maybe runs a soup kitchen and is doing a lot of things for the poor and the marginalized, the widows and the orphans might say, you are not loving. You're not giving enough to the poor. All right. They might also say that. But you could turn around to that person and say, yeah, but when did you last reach the lost? How many people did you get saved in the last few months? Can you see where I'm going? We tend to judge other people based on our level of grace, but there are different ways of laying down your life. Because the intercessor will then come and say, but have you guys laid your lives down through prayer and fasting, you know, for the flock? Have you cried out to God or are you just focused on your own health and your own wealth? Okay. There are a lot of people right now who are showing love in different ways. May God open our eyes and may God mature us that we come to a place of saying, Lord, in the areas where I'm not laying down my life, where I ought to, may you expose that in me so that I can do it. I may not do it to the degree to which someone else might, but at least I know I'm being a loving person in all the major aspects of life that God has shown me. You see, life is also seasonal. I still remember when I was at high school, I was involved in a particular uh, outreach program called Kukura Neshungu, and it was basically... Uh, a thing we did where we would look after uh, kids and young people who were mentally handicapped. So you had uh, some who were mentally handicapped, but also uh, paraplegic, um, you, you know, just really, really difficult situations. And I remember every Monday afternoon for a number of years, I was involved in that and I did it and it wasn't easy. You know, you'll be pushing around one with the wheelchair, you'll be carrying them out of the bus, you'll be taking them for tea, Um, a lot of them could hardly speak. Uh, Some of them who could speak, it didn't always make sense to us and so on. But at that stage of my life, that's what God had convicted me to do, right? So I was laying aside whatever other things I could have been doing on those Monday afternoons in order to be with these particular people, all right? Right now, that's not the season that I'm in. There are other things I'm doing where I'm laying down my life. So it's important to understand that life is lived in seasons, Otherwise, if you start doing things out of guilt and um, unhealthy obligation and debilitating rules, you end up doing things, but you're complaining and grumbling while you're doing them. And because they're not motivated by true love, they're motivated by guilt, they're motivated by fear. Okay. there's no reward for that. God doesn't look at it and think, wow, this is great. I'm delighting in you. All right. So ask the Lord in this season of my life, Lord, who's the object of my love? Who who should I be showing this type of love to and how should I be doing so? Right. Because you've got limited resources, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. you've got limited resources and that's why we are. A body. We function as a body. There will be some that will go and do projects in various places, and we will support them. We have passion for that, but not everyone will be doing that particular thing at any given point in time, all right? Do not judge people based on your level of grace. This is so, so important. Look at the apostles, the early apostles. In Acts chapter 6, at a certain point, there were arguments taking place between the Hebraic um, Jewish um widows all right they were being looked after and then there were the hellenic widows okay the greek widows they were also being looked after and then there were arguments because people were saying no you guys are being unfair you're treating these ones better than the other ones and so on which typically happens in church settings doesn't it you know why is this person getting this we get into that child mode isn't it it's not fair all right um i mean if you know life is not fair But the point is this, at a certain point, the apostles said, it is not good for us to be waiting at tables, right? They said that. It's not good for us to be doing so. However, we should focus on the word and prayer, and we should appoint men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and they should be doing this. Now, did it mean that the apostles were not loving people because they were no longer involved um, in that particular outreach. No, they were obviously still overseeing it. They were obviously still making sure finances went to those particular programs, which is important. Okay. But they were now focused on the word and pray, which is a loving thing to do. Okay. It's a loving thing to do. And I find it interesting because they said it is not good for us to focus on the other things. Okay. Because then who would focus on the word and pray, right? Being an intercessor, standing in the gap, watching over other people in prayer. Being a watchman is a loving thing. We've got um, a couple of people who pray for us. They pray for our personal stuff in our lives, okay? And often they will dedicate a good part of their Saturday morning to do so, right? They do that. That's a loving thing right? They're things God has graced me to do or called me to do because of the role that I play in the body of Christ and in our local church, okay? I don't talk about them. I don't announce them to everyone because I don't want to lose my reward where God who sees what I do in secret will reward me, okay? But the reality is it involves a laying down of my life and that is love, But people might not be aware of it. There are times when my wife, for example, will see a vision concerning someone, right? And God will show her a particular thing. Some of the things could be quite scary, quite frightening. She'll ask me, what do I think? I will give her my input. And sometimes we just decide, you know what? This one is to just pray, okay? The person will never know that they got out of a situation. They had a certain breakthrough because of her prayers, okay? They'll never know that. But she laid down her life and the reward is in heaven. Amen. So that's a very important principle that I wanted to emphasize. How has God called you to lay down your life? How has God called you to lay down your life? All right. And are you doing so in the way that God has called you to lay down your life? Very, very important. Okay. So it's important not to judge other people's love based on your level of grace in a particular area okay very important in galatians 5 verse 6 it says for in christ jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love so i can have faith but if that faith is not expressing itself through love then in heaven it doesn't count simple as that okay All our acts of faith need to be expressed through love for them to truly count. If there is no love in our deeds, then they do not count. They have no value from heaven's perspective. So don't just focus on the activity. Focus on the love that motivates the activity. In Romans 5 verse 5, the Bible says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Some translations actually read like this. They say, for the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by his spirit. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when you are born of the spirit, he gives you a supply of God's love. So as a Christian, you can't say, oh, I can't love. Okay, you can't say that. You can't say, I don't have love. Okay, the divine ability to love is part of the born again spirit. When you're born again, you're given the capacity to love. And it's interesting, you know, because when we are baptized into the Holy Spirit, many people think that, oh, that's just for the spiritual gifts. But how many of you know that it's also a baptism of love? Because the Holy Spirit is the primary vehicle the Lord uses to pour out love in and through us. Primary vehicle right so when you're baptized in the spirit it's not just for the working of miracles it's also for the expansion of our hearts to love people we would ordinarily not have loved that's so important i love 1 john 4 verse 7 and 8 you know there are songs we used to sing that are actually based on this particular scripture dear friends let us love one another for love comes from god so god is the source of love everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We see powerful principles just in the scripture here, all right? Everyone who loves is born of God. Can you see that? So the born again spirit is a loving spirit, okay? One of the signs of being born again is that you become more loving as a person. How loving are you? How loving are you? We're going to unpack what that speaks of in terms of love. But how loving are you? Just ask yourself that question, okay? Um, Look at this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, we were created in God's image and the Bible is saying God is love. So what does that tell you about us? If we are now recreated in Christ Jesus, it means that we must also embody love. It means that one of our key one of the key aspects of our identity should be love, okay? Because God is love, right? Um, If God is love and we were created in his image, then we too ought to be identified by love, right? God is the source of love. The Bible talks about that here. It says love comes from God, right? If you're trying to be a loving person, make sure you've received it first from God, because love comes from God. He's the source of love. Make sure you've received the love that comes from God. Okay. We also see in the scripture that loving people with God's love is a fruit of being born again, not loving people with another type of love. God's love is a fruit of being born again. Right. And, and so crucial that we disciple people concerning what love looks like. You know, it's part of the discipleship process and we tend to miss out on this. You know, we focus on the knowledge aspect of our walk with the Lord and we forget about the love aspect. Okay, Um, powerful thing that comes out of this scripture also is that as I grow in my knowledge of God, I should also be growing in my love for people because the Bible says if I don't love, it means I don't know God. In other words, if I want to grow in love, I need to grow in my knowledge of God. And one of the things we would see with the Pharisees, a thing that Jesus kept on challenging, is that these people knew the law. They knew it. They had head knowledge concerning the law. But where they were lacking was basic love for people. And Jesus, he has basically saying, um, uh, well, John is, is writing this, but, you know, it's the spirit of Jesus through him is communicating that, guys, If you say you know God, then you need to be a loving person. Your knowledge of God, your true knowledge of God, experiential knowledge of God is demonstrated in love. Okay, so let's not be puffed up with our knowledge if we're not going to be loving people. Ask yourself, ask yourself a key question. Am I loving the people that God has placed around me? Each time I'm growing in my knowledge of God, is it causing me to be a more loving person? All right? Um, when we do not walk in love, we are demonstrating our ignorance of God. When we do not walk in love, we are demonstrating our ignorance of God. People who know God are loving. In First Peter chapter one, verse 22, this is very powerful because it uses a different word for love, and we'll unpack that a little bit. It says, "Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, So that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. When the Bible here says, love one another deeply from the heart, the word used for love here is Philadelphia. Philos, okay? Philadelphia. Philos and Delphia. It's affection for the brethren, okay? It's affection for fellow believers, Right? And when the and the when the Bible states deeply, in some translations it says fervently. We used to sing an anthem in the school choir. We used to sing an anthem about that. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. So it must be sincere, first of all. Our affection for each other must be sincere, but it must be fervent. It must be deep. And that word is the word ektenos, which literally means properly or fully stretched. Okay, fully stretched, completely taught okay? That's literally what it means. It's like a rope when you fully stretch it, okay? Um, That's the type of love. In other words, don't hold back when it comes to brotherly love. Don't hold back when it comes to your affection toward one another, okay? Often we are guarded, aren't we? You know, the Bible shows us that perfect love, Peter says, perfect love drives out fear, okay? So, fear is the antithesis of love. What do I mean by that? In the same way that Perfect love drives out fear. Fear can also arrest love. Fear can arrest love. Fear can block love. You see, if I want to show love to you, right, I might say, oh, I want to get to know you better. Oh, let's go and watch a movie or something. And then what does fear do? Eh, this person might think I'm being too forward. This person might think I'm being too friendly. This person might think this is inappropriate, okay? The fear is arresting the love. And how often it is that us as believers often stop being loving because we're afraid. We're afraid of being rejected, right? And then we reject ourselves before we can be rejected. Even in our households, you know, sometimes we've got a desire to show affection, desire to do this, desire to do that, but we hold back, because we're afraid that we might be rejected. We're afraid that the delight we are experiencing concerning this person that we have delight in, ooh, what if they don't return that? What if it's unrequited love? What if I, they, they don't show that same affection back? Okay, so be careful about that. Love casts out fear, but fear can also cast out love. Okay, so without slack, the full potential of love right? Brotherly love. Let's show it to people. In the King James Bible, it says, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Okay. Now, what I love about Jesus is When he was asked certain questions, he didn't always answer didactically, right? He didn't always give you the answer in the way that you expected it, right? So um, he he liked to speak in parables where he would unpack it in a story. And I find it very powerful how he does this uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, okay? So let's unpack this. And I want to give you a bit of context here when he shares this particular Um, this particular story. Let me start reading it and then we will go into it. Luke chapter 10 verse 25 to 37. On one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let me just give you some context there. If someone was an expert in the law, it's basically saying that this guy was an expert when it came to the Mosaic law. He understood what was going on there, right? And says he stood up. Maybe he was drawing attention to himself, okay? Maybe culturally that's what they were expected to do when they're speaking, but I don't believe he had to, all right? Uh, he, I believe he was trying to trap Jesus or test Jesus, testing Jesus's knowledge, perhaps, okay? Now... What is interesting in verse 26, it's a, Jesus responds and he says, what is written in the law, he replied. And I think it's very powerful that Jesus was going back to the law, right? Uh, these people thought, you know, Jesus is trying to throw out the law, right? And so this expert in the law asks him this question and is probably expecting Jesus to give some novel answer, something from outside the law. But Jesus basically says, what's written in the law? You know, you're the expert, you tell us right? That's what he's saying. It's a powerful passage of scripture. Study it in Luke 10, 25 to 37, okay? Um, So Jesus says, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Now, Jesus basically saying, you've said the correct thing at an intellectual level, but look what he then does. Do this and you will live. And you see, that was the difference between Jesus and the teachers of the law and the experts in the law and the Pharisees and so on, right? Jesus focused on the doing. And that's why we often say love is a verb. Now, I don't want to confuse people. I know that love is a noun, okay? But we say love is a verb. There's actually, I think, a book Entitled that. We say that because love is something you do. Okay, it's not a theory, it's very practical. Love does certain things, right? You can't say, Oh, I just love you. Philosophically, I love you. That's why these guys who would spend their whole lives, you know, up on a mountain, you know, just meditating and so on, Um, it begs the question well, how do you actually express love to people if you are literally? Apart from people, right? If you're not connecting with people, that's where our love is tested. So Jesus says, Do this and you will live. Start doing the word. Start doing the love, right? As opposed to just talking about it and knowing the theoretical answer, right? But he wanted to justify himself. This is so powerful. You know, how many times do we ask questions or say certain things just to justify ourselves? You see, he was concerned about his image, his brand, right? The fact that Jesus was saying, do this and you will live. He's now thinking like, hey, Jesus, come on, man. Are you saying I don't do this? Come on. I've been there, done that. I've bought, I bought the t-shirt, right? So he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, for me, this is such a powerful statement, Because many of us don't have a problem with the concept of love. If you say love one another, you know, atheists will agree. People will agree. They'll talk about love as a good thing. You know, the challenge for many of us, the challenge for many of us is who's going to be the object of my love, who qualifies for my love. And this is where many Christians get trapped because we begin to play God so often. You know, this one is the one who deserves my affection and my love, but this one, Uh -uh, uh Uh-uh, I've got no time for that one. Be careful of that because that's not agape. That's not the same type of love that God showed us, okay? The love that God showed us basically says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love with that same love, ladies and gentlemen. Love with that same love. Don't play God. Oh, does this person qualify for my love? Yes. Does this person qualify for my attention? Mm, No, all right? God hasn't called us to do that. Right. So he says, who is my neighbor? And then in response to this, Jesus then shares the parable of the good Samaritan that we're all familiar with. Now, I want to give you context before we read this particular parable. OK, um, it was probably shared in Bethany. Bethany is just outside of Jerusalem. Okay, and and people believe that was shared in, in Bethany because Jesus was very contextual when he would share his parables. Right, he likes the idea of local context. So when he spoke about this road that ran from Jerusalem down to Jericho, right, um, it actually ran through Bethany. Right, Bethany was just outside of Jerusalem, and then the rest of that uh, that route, okay, had a great descent. Great descent, about 1,000 meters, right? 3,500 feet going down to Jericho, right? And it was quite a deserted area, and there were a lot of uh, criminals in that particular area. In fact, um, there was so much crime historically there that at some stage it was actually known as the bloody way, because there was a lot of blood shed along that road. So it was a dangerous route, all right? Um... And uh, where that inn was uh, that is spoken of in this particular parable, apparently the ruins are still there. Right? It was halfway down that particular road, and so it's very contextual. And Jesus here begins to talk about it. What's also amazing is when you look at this: is the hero here is the Samaritan, and yet. Just a couple of weeks before this, if you read Luke 9 uh, verse 53, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and actually had just passed through a Samaritan village and had been rejected there. Do you remember the time when James and John, they had just been rejected and James and John end up saying, Jesus, should we actually call down fire on this village to consume these people? Should we call down fire from heaven because these people have rejected you? You know, just like Elijah did. That's what James and John said. And obviously Jesus' response was, listen, dudes, that's not how we roll, all right? Let's leave this place, right? Now, how many of you would have then given a parable, shared a parable, a couple of weeks later where a Samaritan is now the hero, yet you've just been rejected in a Samaritan village? It just shows you that Jesus himself was demonstrating agape here, right? He hated racism, and there was a lot of racism between the Samaritans and the Jews, Okay? Serious racism. You'll notice that in this parable, when Jesus challenges this um, expert in the law, right? The expert in the law doesn't even mention the word, the name Samaritan, right? Just says, oh yeah, the one who showed mercy. He's the one who who showed love to his neighbor, okay? Doesn't even mention the name Samaritan. And that's how severe the the racism actually was. But Jesus challenged it. So um, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him off his clothes. Now, what does that look like? Strip, being stripped off your clothes means you're naked. Now, how many of you, if a man is lying down um, on the road naked, how many of you are drawn to that? Oh, he's naked. Let me just go and see what's happening there. We tend to run away from naked people, generally speaking, right? We tend to run away from them. We're like, yo, is this, uh, let me just get out of here, right? They stripped him off his clothes, beat him, right? Beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Now, apparently priests would use that road quite a bit because there was quite a lot of priestly activity down in Jericho. OK, so uh, it says a priest was uh, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Right, He passed by on the other side. Now, according to the law, they were actually supposed to demonstrate mercy to their neighbor. Okay, they were actually supposed to help out someone in that situation. That was what the law said. If you study the book of Deuteronomy, Leviticus, they were supposed to actually help out the person. But this person, despite the fact uh, that he was a priest, actually just um, continued on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, okay? And oil and wine in those days were standard ways of healing a wound, right? Then he put the man on his own donkey. So you sort of wonder, what did he then use, okay? Was that the donkey he was riding on? And then he says, look, let me put this guy on um, my donkey, and then I'll maybe walk, all right? And remember, this, this this is steep, hey? This is steep, like imagine the descent, a thousand meters, right? And it's a long journey. I don't know at what point he saw this particular uh, person, but that whole road is about almost 30 kilometers, okay? Almost 30 kilometers, 18 miles, right? From uh, Jerusalem down to Jericho, right? That's a long distance. That's from those of you in Gauteng, that's from Centurion uh, through to the Woodmead area, somewhere there, okay? That's 30 kilometers. Right now, um, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. Now, two denarii is the same, it's the equivalent of one day's wage, okay, and gave them to the innkeeper. Now, if this person is there, uh, you know, he was using a donkey, came out with this money, probably wasn't a wealthy person, right? Uh, And yet he's giving him the daily wage, right? and gave the innkeeper look after him he said and when i return i'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have so that was fully stretched out love is basically saying just to keep you going here's this amount when i come back hopefully i'll have more cash and i'll be able to also reimburse you with some more money that you might need he went all the way okay which of these which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Can you see that doing word is there again? Go and love in the same manner that this Samaritan loved this person. And this person who was stripped and beaten up and so on, we know wasn't also a Samaritan. Otherwise, Jesus would have mentioned it, right? The fact that Jesus just says there was a man who was beaten up and doesn't specify that that man was a Samaritan means the person wasn't a Samaritan, okay? If you look at uh, the times when Jesus would meet certain people, they would highlight the fact that, oh, he met this Samaritan woman at the well, right? Um, So this Samaritan showed love to someone who was probably racist toward him, someone who probably didn't like him in the natural. But after that person was healed from his wounds and saw that it was a Samaritan who helped him out, I'm sure that changed his mindset concerning the Samaritans, all right? So powerful things to note in this passage. Jesus didn't teach didactically about it. He didn't go and just say, "Okay, um, well, who's your neighbor?" Let's unpack that. Your neighbor is actually anyone who's around you, even if it's someone who your tribe does not like. Okay, even if it's someone who's from a different ethnic group than you. No, Jesus gave this example, and the expert in the law answered it for himself. And I wanna, I wanna present that same question to you: Who is your neighbor? Who do you see as your neighbor and are you loving that person? You see, our challenge is who's going to be the object of my love? Who qualifies to be the object of my love? Are we choosing to love people, even people from different backgrounds, even people from different nations? Okay. Uh, If Jesus was speaking here, this particular parable, he might give an example of um, someone who uh, maybe a particular group has been xenophobic towards. Okay, and Jesus might say, listen, you know what? This is love. This is what it actually looks like. Okay, most people are comfortable with the concept of love at a theoretical level. Our challenge is when it comes to the object of our love. The key question many of us have is, who qualifies to be loved by me? Let's be honest right now. Is there a group of people out there that you've grown to hate? Maybe you wouldn't say, I hate them. But if you're honest with yourself, you believe that they don't qualify for my love. Maybe you were abused by men as you were growing up or even as an adult. And now you've got a thing against men and you feel justified that, you know what? They don't qualify for my love right? Maybe you've got an issue with people from a particular ethnic group and you feel like they've had so many advantages in their lives. They've had so much love shown to them. So let me be the grand equalizer and equalize everything, right? So I won't pay attention to them. I won't show them love. I'll only love these people because these are the ones who've had a hard time in this life. Ask yourself that as a key question. Are there certain people you've disqualified from experiencing your love? Now, here's the thing it's not your love. It's actually the love of God in you. And God's love does not discriminate. God's love does not discriminate. How does God see that person? How does God see those people? All right. Um, That's so, so important. So the parable basically teaches us that love is something you do. In Matthew 5, 46 to 47, Jesus actually explains this, right? Um, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? So who are you loving right now who doesn't actually love you, who's treated you badly, but you continue to demonstrate love, okay? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? He's basically saying that's what the world does. That's what people who are not... um, Loving in general, people who con, people who swindle, that's what they do, okay? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? I see this happening, you know? Sometimes when I'm on a run and my wife is running slightly in front of me, for example, you know, some people will wave at her and greet her and say, hi, hi. And then I try and greet the same people and they don't respond to me. And I'm like, huh, what's going on here? You've just greeted my wife. And I'm now saying hi to you. You're not that enthusiastic. Okay. I then begin to question and say to myself, what's going on here? And I try to make sure that wherever I go, wherever I am, I don't just greet Whoever's in charge, the MD, CEO, whoever it is, I will greet the different people as I'm walking in. Could be a receptionist, it could be a security guard, right? How are we treating the people around us? Sometimes you can walk past someone like they don't exist. That is not love, ladies and gentlemen, okay? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So there's something about the love of Jesus in us that needs to be more than how the world loves. It needs to be more than how the world loves. Okay? Greater love is demonstrated when you show kindness to those who will not and have not shown it to you. Right? Greater love is demonstrated when you show kindness to those who will not and have not shown it to you. Are you loving the unlovable? Are you loving those who have not loved you? And that's why uh, Jesus, when he teaches on persecution uh, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? He says, do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you, right? That's what we must do intentionally. It's not enough to just say, I'm neutral. Well, I didn't do anything bad back to them. Uh-uh, that's not the love of Jesus, right? He died for us while we were still sinners okay? For unsaved people, it's normal to show love only to those who've loved you, right? You have those mafia people and so on, right? Very loving to each other as long as you're in that group, you know? It's like you're a brother for life and so on. But what happens when the person decides to leave the mafia? What happens when the person decides to leave that particular gang? All the threats they get, okay? So watch out for that, okay? It's so sad, that very often when we've taught on love we've forgotten about the character of love it's so it, the character of love is so so important okay you see love gives right that's why the bible tells us that god so loved that he so so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so there's the giving dimension of love but ladies and gentlemen there's also the character of love there's what love looks like there's the motivation behind the love and that's what I want to unpack to you as we look at First Corinthians chapter 13, and I'm going to read through from verse 1 to 8. And I find it interesting because in one of the prayer meetings this week, we were praying for uh, people who've, uh, who have why in the education system, we're praying for parents, we're praying for our children... And um, I think it was T- uh, Tanki Sho began to pray concerning First uh, Corinthians 13, you know, and she was unpacking it as she prayed and was powerful. And then uh, Q prayed shortly after that. And she was saying, Lord, you know, and she also quoted this passage and she said, Lord, teach us what love looks like. Teach us what love looks like. And I was just thinking to myself, like, oh, don't worry. God has heard your, your cry because uh, the message for this Sunday is on love and I'm going to be unpacking this particular passage, right? Um, So if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You see, the church at Corinth was strong when it came to spiritual gifts, and often we measure a church by how strong the church is when it comes to the spiritual gifts. But ladies and gentlemen, if there's no love, Remember, the Bible tells us that all that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You can have loads of faith, but if there's no love in the equation, it does not count. Okay, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, Now, this is very important because there are a lot of people who are very giving and they can give sacrificially. But this scripture is showing us that you can give sacrificially, but not stemming from love. Okay, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So is it possible to give sacrificially and gain nothing? Yes, it's possible. Right. Then we unpack what love is, and I'm going to literally do a word study of this. But let me read it to you first. Love is patient. This is the character of love. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, every great work we do needs to be embedded in love. And if Jesus has said that we must love one another so that the world will know that we are his disciples, right? If love is from God and if love is central to our identity, the identity of the born again spirit, I don't know about you, but I really want to understand the character and nature of love. So it's in my interest to understand what these words mean. Now, some of you might think like, "Oh, Paul, we're not in Bible school. Do you have to go through all of it? It's in my interest to go through all of it. And it should be in your interest to fully understand what these words mean. So we're going to do a word study as we conclude this message. We're going to do a word study of each of these words because they're, they're describing what love is like. OK, so it says love is patient. Now, I've taught on this before. The, the, it comes from a combo of two Greek words, makro and thumos, right? Makro meaning far or distant, And thumos meaning suffering, right? And that's why it's often translated long-suffering, okay? Being able to suffer for a long time, right? So if I truly love you, it means that I'm patient with you, right? It means that I can suffer long with you, right? Um, When you are annoying me, when you are uh, struggling to understand something that I'm trying to teach you, right? Uh, I should not be easily annoyed. I should have makrothumos, right? Suffering for long distance. That's why if you truly love your kids, right? You tend to cope, don't you? The person is still there. The child is still there. They're not paying rent to live with you, right? If they're you know, still young, young little boy or little girl, right? But they might be irritating you. They might be doing naughty things, but you're still feeding them, aren't you? You don't say, oh, you're not going to go with, you're going to go without food now and so on. You're demonstrating makrothumos right? It's long-suffering, it's perseverance. It's possible to do good things, to be a great giver, but impatient, you see. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's the word krestos, and it literally means being serviceable, being good, being useful, being gentle, being pleasant, being kind. In the Old Testament, it's actually synonymous, used synonymously with uh, the word for grace and mercy, Right. So it's not something that you demonstrate just because someone has been nice to you, right? So for example, if you're going on a long distance trip uh, to another city and someone comes into the car with you and they offer to pay fuel. Right. And you say to them, it doesn't matter. You don't need to pay. I'm going there anyway. You've demonstrated kindness. It was something you weren't legally required to do, but you showed them kindness. They didn't necessarily deserve it per se, but you demonstrated kindness. You are being serviceable. You are being useful. Right. Um, Without looking for anything in return. Love does not envy. It's not envious. And that's the word Zulu. Right. It's where we get the word zealous from. And it's interesting because it actually speaks of setting your heart to possess something, all right? Boiling over with an eagerness for something, right? Uh, It's the same word that's used when the Bible says, covet the greater gifts, desire the greater gifts. But the context here is basically saying love is not envious. Love doesn't look at someone else's stuff and eagerly desire to have what that person has. I wish I had it, okay? Love Is not like that. And by the way, a lot of conflict, if you study in the book of James, a lot of conflict in our lives, a lot of fighting and quarrels comes from this. It comes from that spirit of envy. Ask God to work in your heart and deliver you completely from any bit of envy. When I first received the love of God and known that he loves me, he's kind to me, he delights in me, there's no room in my heart for any envy. There's no room in my heart to covet what you have right? And this includes gifts, by the way, coveting someone else's gifts, right? In terms of how God has graced someone else. Oh, I wish I had that, All right? That's, that's not love. Love does not boast. And there's an interesting word used for boast because it's only used here. This is the only scripture you'll find this particular word, okay? Um, and it's a, it's, it comes from the word uh, perperos, which means someone being a braggart okay, to act as a braggart. A braggart is basically someone who brags, someone who shows off, okay, uh, someone who needs a lot of attention, and because they need a lot of attention, they'll show off. I can do this, I've got this, okay? And a lot of adults do this, but it comes from infantile behavior, right? Because that's what kids do, right? You know how kids boast, you know, my dad's car is bigger than your car, you know? I still remember when we were at junior school. The, the competitions people would have you know, we had a lot of people who were children of farmers at the junior school I was at. And there was this big thing. There were a lot of wealthy kids. And there's this big thing between the farmers and the townies. Who's better, farmers or townies? You know, we better than you. And I remember one wealthy guy who was who both lived in the city, but they also owned a farm. And he was like, hey, well, I'm both and so on. That's what little kids do. But in subtle ways, you find grown-ups doing the same thing. Our church is better than your church. You know, uh, that's not love. Love does not brag i'm talking to you about the character of love you've got a lot of people who show off on facebook pastors well-known people like this is my house this is what i've got look and everything is being showcased and so on why why are you flaunting it why do you need to flaunt it why do you want to be praised what what are you looking for when you do that okay do not boast do not be a braggart right love is not proud and that's the word fuzio Fusio. And it means to puff or to blow up, right? To inflate, just like you'd blow air into something so that it swells and becomes larger, okay? It talks about being inflated, okay? You know when someone has got an inflated ego, being puffed up, being arrogant, being proud, right? It's like an egotistical person spewing out arrogant thoughts, okay? Love does not do that. Can you see the humility involved in love? The humility involved in love. There are a lot of people who seem generous on the outside, but they're very proud as a person, okay? Yeah, guys, I'll sort you out. I'm the one who does it, yeah. And they want everyone to be dependent on them, all right? Love does not dishonor. This is so important. It does not dishonor others. And let me just say something. The short word, short for disrespect or dishonor is to dis. And a lot of times we disrespect people, don't we, right? Love does not dishonor, right? That's eskermoneo. It means to act unbecomely, to act improperly, to act unseemly, seemingly, right? Seemly. Uh, To behave unbecomingly, right? Or even dishonorably, right? Is what I did decent or is it indecent behavior? Is it unseemly behavior, okay? is, Is my attitude dishonoring? What are you like when you visit other people? What are you like when you are eating with other people? What are you like when you're in the context of a church or a church meeting? Do you know your place? This is so important because this is about love. And very often we like to separate things out. So we like to say that's honor over there in its corner, right? And this is love. But when you see in scripture, it's basically saying love does not dishonor. Love does not dishonor others. Okay. And that's why we did that whole series and the book coming out on it on biblical honor, right? Where I talk about how to how to honor, how to honor other people appropriately and how to glorify God completely. And that's also very crucial. Love is not self-seeking. Remember earlier on we spoke about how love is selfless. Okay. It's not self-seeking. And it's two words there, you know, self-seeking. Uh Zateo. right, it's to do with seeking, searching, diligently searching, and auto, right, which is to do with the self. So you're diligently looking out for yourself. And you see people doing this. They can have a conversation with you, but they're just thinking of themselves. They're saying things to you, but they've got an agenda. It's like, what's in it for me? You know, as long as I can gain from this, right? Love is not self-seeking. Love does not have a hook in it. When you say, hey, I'm blessing you with this pair of shoes. Hey, I am bl- i don't want anything in return. I am blessing you. I'm not even wanting you to respect me more. I'm not even wanting you to like me more. I'm just saying, here are these shoes for you. Be blessed, you know? Oh, I'm paying your school fees. I'm not expecting anything from you. You don't have to vote for me when there's a next voting coming up at that board meeting uh, in the corporate world, for example. right? Yet we see something happening in the marketplace where very often what looks like love is being shown, but the person is thinking, I want something in return. I've just been writing on mentorship and developing a whole course on mentorship. And one of the things I say mentors should look out for is to make sure that they are showing kindness without looking for something in return. It shouldn't be a case of, you know what? Because I've mentored you, hey, you must vote for me at that board meeting. You know what I'm talking about, right? You must always support my agenda. That is not love. That is not love, okay? So love is not self-seeking, okay? Where you're requiring something for yourself, demanding it for yourself, okay? Love is not easily angered, okay? Paroxuno. Uh, that means to have a sharp edge, to have a sharp edge, to be easily stimulated, okay? Stimulated. So reacting easily, right? Uh, being provoked easily, right? Being irritated easily, okay? So you find that when you're truly loving, you've got this capacity, right? To contain yourself when people do things that are potentially annoying. You know that there's some people where they just can't handle anything. You know, if someone speaks horribly to them, it sets them off. If someone cuts in uh, a cue, it sets them off. Okay, love doesn't do that. Love is able to redefine what's actually going on. You see, when Jesus basically said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Okay, when you have the mind of Christ and the love of Christ, you're able to actually be like, you know what? I'm just going to forgive him because this guy was actually wounded by his father and has got issues. He wasn't raised well, you know, right? Jesus was able to look at that and say, you know what, Father, forgive them. Because I I understand these these guys don't actually know what they're doing. They actually think they're doing the right thing, but they don't, they're darkened. So forgive them, right? Love is able to do that. You see, when you're not able to look at something from someone else's perspective and see that this person is immature, this person is unsaved, that's why they did that. Okay, this person is deceived. This person is bitter. That's why they did that. Right. Um, When you grow in maturity, you're able to handle someone else's immaturity. Okay, you're able to handle someone else's immaturity. So ask yourself, am I easily angered? Am I easily angered? If I am, it means that there's a gap when it comes to my love. Right. Toward that particular person or people. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. That's the word logizomai, right? That's the word logizomai, which speaks of uh, re- recording. And then kakos, which speaks of wrongs, right? Or evil, right? So logizomai speaks of uh, to reckon, to consider, to count, or to charge with, or to reason, or to decide, or to conclude when it comes to a particular matter, right? Uh, to think about something, to suppose right. And then, of course, uh, Kakos is speaking of malice or evil. So I don't keep considering the evil that was done against me, the hurt that was done against me. I don't make a quick decision about it either. Okay, Um, I don't charge the person based on the hurt that was caused. Right. That's why, again, Jesus says, pray for those rather pray for those that hurt you right? That's what I must do instead of keeping a record of what they've done. And there's some people known as gunny sackers, where they literally store up all the stuff that you've done wrong into their arsenal of weaponry, right? All the stuff that you've done wrong, they store it up, store it up, store it up. And then one day when you come and you try and accuse them of something, what do they do? They take out all those things. Ah, remember three weeks ago when you said this, Ah, but what about you last year when you did this? And they bring it up. They've kept a record of wrongs. And you know what? You end up stinking as a person. When when I've got all the stuff that you've done against me and I'm boiling with it, it ends up smelling after some time, doesn't it? Okay, and it ends up defiling me, right? Because I'm holding it against you. That's why the Bible also tells us that love covers a multitude of sin. Why? Why? It covers a multitude of sin because you're not keeping record of the wrong that has been done against you. Now, some people are very good at that. Very good at that. And they even get irritated with you when you forgive people. They're like, ah, but these people did this and this to you. Don't forget, they were the ones who did this to you, right? They're literally keeping a record of the wrongs that were done towards someone else, okay? So they keep a record of the wrongs that were done to them and also to other people. Imagine the bitterness and resentment in the person like that, okay? Um, love does not delight in evil. To delight is the word karyo, kairo in the Greek. Right? And evil here is adika, adikia. And um, so delighting is being favorably, favorably disposed to something or leaning towards something. Okay? And then adikia is speaking of hurt, it's speaking of unrighteousness, it's speaking of injustice. Okay? So we don't delight in injustice. Okay? We don't have a favorable heart toward injustice. So can you see how love is not just this emotional thing, right? Love actually hates injustice. It hates injustice. It doesn't delight in injustice, okay? Um, Just meditate on that and see how it applies to your life, right? Think of the poverty in our nations, for example, and a lot of that poverty is due to injustice. Are we delighting in it, okay? When you are doing business, are you delighting in the fact that, oh, you can con this person because they're so desperate for a particular thing? That's profiteering, right? But you end up charging them so much because you're taking advantage of them and you think you're a clever business person. But that means you're actually delighting in evil because you're delighting in unrighteousness. You're delighting in injustice. Watch out for that. OK, love rejoices in truth. Now, truth, I love the word for truth. It's al- aletheia. OK, Um, And suk cairo is to do with rejoicing. So it's to do with congratulating truth, basically, okay? You're rejoicing together with someone else. That's to congratulate with them. You're rejoicing together to mutually participate in God's grace and favor. Like, oh, that happened. That's really great, especially if it's toward the truth, okay? You, You rejoice in truth, but not merely truth that is spoken, but truth When it comes to truth of idea, truth in reality, truth in sincerity, truth in the moral sphere, okay? You delight in truth. There are a lot of people who don't like the truth. They don't delight in the truth. They suppress the truth, you know? We're watching a movie recently uh, where there was a report done, um, there was a chemical company, and they were just literally um, doing doing a lot of bad things, basically, okay, they were contaminating water in a region, people were getting sick, and so on, they actually did, a report then came out uh, showing that this um, area was all contaminated, etc., the water was contaminated, and so on, and then they literally hid that report, right, they didn't uh, show people for years, right, but they knew that it was true, that's an example of not rejoicing in truth, right, it's an example of not rejoicing in truth, you're rejo- when you rejoice in the truth, you're rejoicing in straightforwardness, All right, that's what it literally is speaking of, love protects, that's the word stege, right, it means to cover closely, right, when you want to keep water out of something, water out of a tap or something like that, and you cover it closely, right, so love protects, okay, Um, I think that's very powerful, right? Do I love you so much that I actually protect you, right? From stuff getting out and stuff coming in, okay? It generally means to bear up under, okay? To bear up under. It means to cover, to conceal, to cover so that you can ward off evil. Isn't that powerful? You know, like a mother hen will cover, will protect its um, little, little chicks, okay? It means to bear with. It means to endure something patiently. It's to endure because uh, something is shielded, okay? It's bearing up, it's forbearing, right? Because it's under God's protection. It also means to cover with silence. You know, sometimes we expose people, right? Because we like to gossip. Oh, but do you really know what this person did, right? That's not love, ladies and gentlemen. Love covers, you know? Love is interested in how can I protect that person's image as it were? right now there's a place for reporting people to the police or saying pastor look this is what we are going through I'm not talking about that i'm talking about uh the protection and concealing something because uh you are interested in that person's welfare you don't want to damage their reputation in the world out there okay um it's covering to keep off something that is threatening the person and as parents we are responsible to protect our children, to protect our families. And sometimes the way we protect them is by coming up with strong rules that protect them. It might be to do with uh, multimedia. It might be to do with certain games they play, right? Love protects. Are you protecting your children? Are you just saying, hey, just decide whatever you want. Just do whatever you want. That is not the loving thing to do, okay? Love trusts. And that's the same word for to believe, right? It's the word pistis. In the greek it's to think to be true to be persuaded of a particular thing to credit someone right to place confidence in someone to be like you know what let me give you the benefit of the doubt okay love hopes that's the word el piso which is to actively wait in expectation Okay, it's that sense of, you know what, I really love you and I know that things are going to come right in your life. I believe that God in you, Christ in you is going to do his work. Okay, it's where you don't give up easily on people. Love perseveres. That's hupomeno. And that means to stay behind. It actually means to stay behind, to wait, to endure. It's when someone says, you know what, I'm sticking with this guy. I'm just going to stick around. I know something will happen, right? I'm remaining behind. I'm not going to flee a situation. I'm standing my ground. That's what love does. It shows endurance, okay? I will endure. I will bear up against the following things, and I will persevere. Can you see the character of love? It's seen in how you endure. It's seen in how patient you are. It's seen in how you are humble, right? I want to encourage you, pray this over your life and you'll see the character of God, the God kind of love, agape, manifest in your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this revelation of the love of God. We thank you that the love of God is in our hearts, has been shared abroad in our hearts by your spirit. And we open ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit to be loving people. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for where we've judged other people and we've seen them as unloving based on the areas of strength in our life. Forgive us for that and deliver us from this blindness. Help us to see how we can lay our lives down for the people around us, Lord God. Lord, where we have disqualified certain people from being recipients of the love of God in us, we also ask for your forgiveness and we thank you, Lord, that you are cleansing us in this particular area that we would stretch out our brotherly affection, would stretch out our love and we'll begin to love people who we had discredited in the past. Lord, may our love stand out that the world can look at us and say, we know that these are the disciples of Jesus because they have love. In Jesus' name we pray. Come and do a deep work, we pray. Amen. God bless you as you walk in love. We are people of love. Amen.